Let's turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we're looking at verse 39 through 12, verse 2. This is a transition text that uh, takes us, um, kind of wraps up the theme of faith and helps us to start to uh, move towards the conclusion of the book. And he's bringing us the, the very important applications that come out of the doctrine of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is where the penny ought to start to drop for us, that we have spent almost a year pondering the doctrine of Jesus Christ and His Sonship and divinity. And now, this all should come together for us as believers. Uh, let's read verse 39. It says, "...and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect." Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with patient endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Lord, as we are now focusing specifically on this text, help us to take joy. Take joy in You, and uh, would we also be able to follow in the footsteps of our Savior to, to see the joy that is set before us. There is so much in our life that causes us to not see that joy. And I know that in our nation, which should have every, every available opportunity for joy, we are some of the most joyless of people. And so help us, Lord, to, to pattern ourselves after your Son. In your name we pray. Amen. Did everyone enjoy the snow set before us this week? Yes, some people. Uh, snow is beautiful when it comes down in inches, right? It changes when it comes down in the feet. And uh, it turns from a joy, maybe, for some of us into a trial. And trials, if you will, or snow, are set before us, actually, to test our uplook, to test our capacity to be able to see above what's immediately in front of us. So when trials are set before us, we need to come back to the joy that is in reality set before us that the world cannot see. We have to come back to that joy so that we might be able to endure, and by coming back to the joy, we can regain a heavenly perspective. Now, I know I don't bat a thousand at this. I certainly don't. In fact, lately it seems as though I'm batting less than 500. In fact, even this week, I would say I probably wasn't even batting 100. 
Uh, when the snow came down, it seemed like, are we really going to have this all cleaned up before, before the Saturday funeral that's coming? And I was just overwhelmed with the thought of it, and I wasn't doing very well. And, uh, and then something remarkable happened. Everyone, nearly, it seemed, showed up at the church to help clean up the snow. And it was just amazing. In that moment, I was rebuked, but also I was blessed. And joy uh, returned to my heart. And I think it just helps us understand that at times when we aren't batting a, a, a thousand like we should, or even 500, uh, we actually need to go back to the joy that is set before us. And we can all take a benefit from a perspective shift and so when threat, trials threaten to bury us like snow, we've got to have an upward look and look to Jesus, the one who has set before himself the joy and persevered and endured for us. And so this message, I hope, will encourage you, I want to encourage you to do whatever it takes to deepen your, your, your view of Jesus so that you are not feeling like you're out alone, but you are in fact united with Jesus, and take courage in that relationship and see yourself persevere through trials. Now, in this text, I'm going to develop this theme that faith unites us to Jesus, making endurance possible, endurance through trials possible. Endurance occurs several times in this text. In fact, um, you see it uh, twice in verse 1. You see it once in verse 1, and then again it's repeated in verse 2. I didn't read verse 3, but it's also contained there. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. And so the theme that is being communicated to us is believers that we need to be persevering enduring, having patience, as some translations put it. And we find that true faith unites us to Jesus Himself. You see it in the metaphor of that phrase in verse 2, looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus. That word, looking, has a very strong intended meaning that we're to look away from everything else and focus our attention on Jesus. Focus our attention figuratively to keep thinking about Jesus without having your attention dis divided or distracted. You know, I think we are living in a very distracted society, are we not? We... Uh, we, we become so distracted very easily, and we forget that we're really united with Jesus Christ. I can't help but help think about how important the spiritual discipline of meditation would be for us today. We, as believers, get so distracted, Satan has a field day by causing us to get so distracted that we do not even meditate upon the Word of God for even five minutes within our day. That's how we see and anticipate and think about Jesus. I had mentioned last Sunday Alvin York, a man of remarkable faith. He used to go off into his mountain, he called it, to get away and spend time and meditate 
upon the word of God. He would do that for the purpose of gaining a clear perspective. He did this, and he was able to see, and I think that Christians could take from that example and also the word of God directly to not be distracted. And we as Christians need to unplug. (laughs) We just simply need to unplug. There are times when I catch myself starting my day by picking up my phone. That's what Satan wants us to do. He wants us to start our day by picking up the phone instead of picking up the Word. And so we actually need to consider that if we're not able to think about God for five to ten minutes, how are we as weary saints in this world able to survive? The book of Hebrews Let's switch over to this mic. So, the book of Hebrews was written to a sin-weary saints. People who have had the heavy weight of oppression. They had the heavy weight of worry and of fear. And they could have been very tempted to, to not endure and to persevere And so they needed desperately to look to Jesus. And we desperately need to look to Jesus as the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And so we need to spend time in prayer. Now, the Holy Spirit has gifted us as Christians with the capacity to see Jesus and and to love him whom we've, we've never seen before. And so Jesus and that connection to him is so critical for our our essential well-being as Christians. So faith is what unites us to Jesus and makes endurance possible. Three reasons to push through trials for the joy set before us are found in these words. First, God postponed the Son's coming for us, and I think we need to grasp that. Verse 39, the writer sums up his point, and he says... He says in verse 39, All of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. And continues the thought that apart from us that they should not be made perfect. All of these who went before, the Old Testament saints, the ones that we read about in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, they didn't receive what was promised. Now, wait a second. I mean, we read some of the accounts of some of these people, and they had received something that was promised. I mean, some of them inherited a kingdom, and some of them had their their children raised from the dead. Like, what, what do you mean they didn't receive what was promised? Well, the ultimate promise is what's being referred to here. The ultimate promise of everlasting life residing within them because of Jesus, the Messiah, who came. We have something, we have a privilege because God delayed for them so that we might benefit. We have privileges that are ours, that are unique to our time period that that generation never had. We have the privilege of knowing God in Jesus. Think about that. I mean, this is Somewhat profound, I think, but it's, it shouldn't be that profound. The reality is, <laughs> the Old Testament saints didn't know who the Messiah was. 
They had no concept of who, who God really was other than through their teachers like Moses, um, seeing the tabernacle and seeing the system of sacrifice, it was still very abstract for them. They had a hard time visualizing who God was, and so it was very easy for them to stray. So Jesus is very personable, but I think it's important for us also to realize the privilege, because even those who saw Jesus in the flesh and could touch him didn't even believe in him. I mean, the Holy Spirit was not even in the ministry of Jesus active in people's hearts and lives to give them the eyes to see who Jesus was. Can you imagine after the ascension of Christ, all of a sudden, you suddenly make the connection that this was the Messiah? Even the first generation, the first generation who lived and moved with Jesus, what a difference would it have been if they saw him as their Messiah as he was living with them. We have something that is beyond what others have experienced, and that is that we, with the heart, know that Jesus is the Son of God. We know for certain that he is. And so God postponed the Son's coming so that the reality of eternal life, the Holy Spirit living within us, would be ours. What a blessing that is. We have a sense of communion with him that this world doesn't have. We have also the, perfect, the privilege of perfection in Jesus. And here, I hope, is a striking thought. If you consider the Old Testament saints, the Old Testament kings, even the ministry of someone like Isaiah to uh, the king Ahaz, who had the opportunity to ask for the impossible sign from God. This, this, this fills me with wonder to realize that Ahaz had been given the opportunity to ask for the Messiah to have Christmas in his own daytime, in his own period of life. And yet he, he passed it by. It was impossible. God could have granted a request to Ahaz to have the Messiah come in his own lifetime and deliver him from his enemies, the Assyrians. Nevertheless, God delayed. He delayed so that we might have deliverance from our greatest enemies. Who are our greatest enemies? It's sin and it's death itself. That postponement is a, a rich blessing and privilege for us. And so in verse 40, we're told that apart from us, the Old Testament saints were not made perfect. The stain of sin could not be removed without the blood of Jesus being applied to our hearts so that we might have eternal life. There was a great delay so that the perfecting work of God in Christ would make us as white as snow. That is the beauty. That is the blessing that we, we inherit, the privilege that the Old Testament saints never had. That's something to take great joy in. It's set before us. It's to remind us that we can endure through great challenges. The Old Testament saints didn't have these blessings, and yet and still they endured trials. 
they endured. And so I'm going to move now to a second uh, reason that God delayed for our benefit to help provide us this union with his son. And I think it's important for us to realize that God provided the son's atonement for us specifically. Now, obviously, it's for the whole world, and it's as good retrospectively for the Old Testament saints, but there is a certain blessing that is ours in living after the atonement had occurred that they didn't have. And it's this, that the blood of Christ makes us perfect in God's sight. And so there's kind of a, an interesting phrase that goes in this text, and you see in verse 1, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, so let us lay aside every weight and sin. But wait a second, didn't Jesus perfect us? Why do we have to still lay aside every weight and sin? What is this going on here, this, this perfection? And so it's important for us to understand this. there's two things going on here in God's providing atonement for us now. And I think there's encouragement that, yes, we are perfected because of the blood of Christ. But we need to know that because we have this benefit, we ought not disappoint the saints who had to reapply the blood week after week, year after year. We don't have to reapply the blood. This is a tremendous blessing for us. We're surrounded by such a, crowd, a cloud of witnesses like that grandstand in the sky? They're all watching, wondering, what would it be like not have to go to the temple every week or every uh, atonement year and the Passover? There's none of that required. What are these Christians doing with this blessing that they have inherited that they don't have to do these things? What are they doing? In the Wednesday Bible study, someone brought up this very point, actually, and uh, I asked their permission to share this. Um, and, and they said, you know, we might wonder what it would have been like to wake up in the morning and actually to go out and pick up the manna. And that might seem like a marvelous experience from our end. And we might ask ourselves, well, how is it that they, they were so slow to believe? I mean, they had manna to pick up and then look at heaven and say, this is where it came from. It came from God himself. But now the witnesses in the sky are looking at us, and they're saying with wonder, how, how is it that they have the continual presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling within them? How is it that they can't endure through trials like we endured through trials? We might be tempted to think that Joshua and Caleb had it easy. No, they actually had to go out every day and pick up the manna. They actually have to go do something, so to speak. They're watching us from glory and thinking to themselves, my, they have got it good. They have got it good. And so it's important for us to understand that God provided atonement for us in a very unique and special way. Now, it has backdating blessings for those Old Testament saints who are waiting for it, but the reality is we get to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit now 
that they have never experienced. And so we need to be conscientious that we, that we also don't misunderstand the blood which is permanently applied. So yes, we don't go out and reapply the blood to the mercy seat every, every day of atonement. That's true. Yet in this verse, we're encouraged to proactively apply the blood of Christ's sacrifice to ourselves, to lay aside every sin and weight that easily besets us. Just as the firstborn child, the boy or girl, had to look at that blood and in their heart believe that it was powerful to protect them, Jesus' blood also holds effective power for us, and we have to believe that. We have to understand that the infinite value of Christ's blood is sufficient to cleanse us from every sin that we will commit. We are perfect in God's eyes because of the blood, but we are being perfected by the blood throughout our lifetime. Christ's blood is one and done. It's finished. It's, it's finished. Sin's debt has been paid. But the eternal sacrifice has infinite resources for those sins which cling so tightly to us. We're told to lay aside every weight and sin. This would be a very cruel command if there was no hope of overcoming sins which exist in our lives. That would be cruelty in the extreme. But the reality is that the blood of Christ is powerful to cleanse every single sin that we will commit. So to walk in the Spirit means that we, by God's assurance, we assure ourselves that we can strive, we can run, we can overcome trials, and we can overcome sin gradually throughout our lifetime. See, the race that is set before us includes specific tendencies that we, we seem to, you know, we, we're doing this race and we go around that corner, and every time we go around that corner, there seems to be this temptation that always seems to be there. What this scripture is telling us is we don't have to fall every time we come to that corner. The blood of Christ is sufficient to uphold us so that we might endure through those trials and temptations. So when you sin with your mouth, or you sin with your eyes, you sin with your feet or your hands, when those desires come, you're not bound anymore. You can take those sins directly to God's throne of grace and find deliverance. You can, with your mind, not anticipate having to fail. You can anticipate the joy that is set before you and push through like your Savior did. This is available for us. And I hope this also helps us transition to the third point here, is that God provided the Son's obedience for us too. So in this delay, he wants us to know here that we through faith can be united 
with Christ's obedience and find strength and help. Um, verse 2, I find this, this here. Verse 2, it says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. You know, the perfect obedience of Christ is set before us. It's not to, it's not to crush us with guilt. It's in, to encourage us to keep going. You know, the King James, I think, says it this way, and my, my early childhood memory brings these words out of me instinctively, that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. And those are good words. They're good words. Some translations will also use words like pioneer or champion or founder. And when you see different versions trying to make sense of an original word, it, it, it should clue you to the realization that it's a, a complex process of trying to get a one-to-one -one meaning out of that original word. And I do think that the word author is good. I think founder is helpful as well. And we may have our own preference, but the words pioneer and champion, I think, capture the idea well in this way. And I think we should consider Jesus to be something of a founder for all who would follow after him. I think this is what this scripture is trying to communicate to us. A founder of a business sets the pattern for the rest to follow. Like a founder of a franchise. The founder is the one who experiences the pain, the struggle, the trial of setting a pattern for future replication. They have the, the expenses of the beginning, and they have the vision for the expansion. I was thinking, uh, as I was considering the word founder here, to uh, Ray Kroc, who was the founder of McDonald's, who at one time was a business entrepreneur, but over time he perfected his business model so that it could be multiplied. He shifted from being an entrepreneur to being a founder, and in some ways, I think that you could look at Jesus as being that kind of a founder of franchises, meaning no disrespect to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are like franchises. We are little Christs who are built around the pattern that the founder has established. When a new franchise is open, the local managers are going to experience trials. They're going to experience pain, difficulty to try to, to make a profit. But you know what they have? Because they're a franchise, they have the resource line back to the founder. They can look back at the manual and see, okay, so how did Ray Kroc do this? How did he work through the problems and the pain and the trial and get to a place where he, he was able to be successful? And I do believe that Paul is kind of thinking along those lines here and realizing that, that if you follow the pattern of Jesus, when you come to a trial, you too can also experience the perfecting work of Christ's obedience. You follow the pattern, you, by God's grace, will also experience the blessing. And so, 
This is what I see in this verse too. Look at the the expression of the pattern. Um, Verse 2, it says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There is a pattern there that if we follow, I believe we will experience maturity, we will experience perfection over time. What is that pattern? First of all, uh, he as the founder sets the franchise example, and he shows us that we need to visualize the joy. You have to anticipate the reality of joy that will be there for you. You have to see the vision of what's going to transpire if you put yourself through the pain of the experience you may be going through. Jesus put that before himself. That was what he did. That was the part of the pattern. And then secondly, he, he chose to cling to that pattern, and he pushed through the endurance. He, did, he didn't take a shortcut. He said, this is what I have to do to get to the other side. This is the way the the Lord, my heavenly Father, has it for me. I have to go through the cross. There is no other way. That's what he said at Gethsemane, didn't he? He said, not my will, but thine be done. And he chose to go through it. And third, that little phrase, despising the shame, is a remarkable little phrase, which I believe is living with a scorn of hell. Now, where did you get that, Pastor? Well, that little word, shame, is, I believe, a softer word. It's a euphemism, I believe, in the Scriptures for hell itself. And judgment. Um, You have to think back to what I said last Sunday about 1 Corinthians chapter 1. How that God chooses the weak in order to do what? To shame the proud. Where does that shame find its ultimate fulfillment It comes not in the gospel itself in the sense of like going to heaven. It is in the ultimate eternal shame of living in eternal fire forever and ever and ever. That's the offense of the gospel. And I believe that the writer here is referring to this despising of the shame. Christ endured the trial. He went through the cross. He now despises the shame. He's on the other side. He went to hell and experienced it, and it does, has no hold on him. He despised the shame. Think about that for a moment. Think about that pattern. As little franchises, as little Christs, if we follow the pattern of Christ and say, okay, we can see the joy that's set before us, we choose to endure the pain and the trial and the suffering then we also start to mock hell with our attitude. I mean, hell has no hold on us. We have life to gain. That's all there is for us as Christians. What more have we to fear? We have nothing to fear. This should give us a confidence to live boldly for Christ and push through any trial that comes before us. That's looking... so it's almost like a circle. It goes, goes around. Uh, you visualize the joy. You push through that trial. And you can then be at a point where you live with a scorn for hell itself, just like Christ did. He has nothing to fear. He despises the shame. And so 
I believe that if you can visualize the joy that's set before you, that you too will be in the presence of God where fullness of joy exists, you'll be able to purse through any loss, any pain, any trial. Are you buried under a trial? Are you buried underneath of a weight? The snow keeps coming, right? But faith unites us to Jesus and makes endurance possible. God did this for us. He, he postponed the son's coming. He, he provided the atonement for us. And so he also provided the son's obedience for us as a pattern so that we might persevere. Consider how great a joy is set before us. It is all of grace. It is all of faith. We've been saved by grace alone. For by grace we have been saved through faith. It's not our own doing. It's not our own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not the result of works. We, we have nothing to boast in. We have only to boast in Jesus Christ himself. He is our only boast. I think that as we transition now to the close of our service, we ought to be thinking about how we can gain a greater viewpoint of Christ. I, as a pastor, want you to be successful in this life. If the Lord delays His coming, we are going to go through some times and trials that which we will make 2020 seem like nothing. And we need to learn, again, the discipline of opening up the Bible and, and looking undistractedly at the Lord Jesus Christ through the Word of God. This is something that the saints who went before us have practiced, and it became the vehicle, the ability to suffer through persecution and not to faint. We need to learn how, in these days that are more simple, that are easier, to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, be united to him. We are united because of the blood of Christ, but now we need to live out that reality through faith. Let's pray.